0: Readings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is one that should be a fun read. It's titled Amish Scrambled Eggs with Humor Bed and Breakfast Fables. And our author who joins me from Pennsylvania is Joseph Chul Crawshaw. Joe, explain yeah, that. How are you? Explain that name Chul which is in parentheses. Yeah,
1: that that is the Amish Amish way of Of pronouncing Joe in their in their Pennsylvania Dutch accent.
0: Wonderful, your book is uh, full of uh, exciting tales. Uh, Ninety pages, not a long read. How would you describe what you have shared with the public?
1: Well, it's it's. uh, I wrote the book on a whim, Jay. It was on a a bucket list of mine, and we've been at this bed and breakfast about seventeen years and um i just put these little stories aside when people would tell me about their lives some of them are sad and some are serious and some are uh, thought provoking and some are frustrating and people kept saying joe why do you you need to write a book um so that was in the back of my mind and but what really prompted it was and a lot of people know this on tv they show the amish mafia and the Amish breaking, whatever, breaking habits or something. Mm-hmm. And it's portraying the Amish all wrong, Jay. And I thought, well, I can write a book that's entertaining. I can clean up. Part of this book is, has to do with the facts that they don't know about the Amish. And the story is middle-class no America. It's, it's about people that come, and they just open up their ideas and thoughts. And uh, uh, I wrote them all down. So that's what prompted it. And so I can check this off on my bucket list. And I never thought. I just wrote it, and then I thought, well, I hope I get it published. And uh, I sent it to uh, six publishers, and five jumped on it. And I thought, well, boy, that mm-hmm. must be better than I thought. And then next Libris, I'm glad I went with them, and uh, so we're taking off with it.
0: Must be something. Must be something positive in here that uh, people are relating to. What's the scrambled eggs have to do with humor bed and breakfast fables?
1: Well, the scrambled eggs is just in there as a way of uh, uh, just kind of like I have Amish because it catches their attention because Amish is a nice buzzword and people want to know about the Amish cu- culture. And the entire book is based around our breakfast table. Um, I don't have a table of contents. I have a menu. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and the first one setting the table. And then the main dishes are my stories. And in this first book, uh, there's like 32 stories about uh, our guests and what they've done. And like I said, some are, are hilarious. And there's Amish Amish stories are in there. Uh, it's just a potpourri of everything over 17 years.
0: Over 17 years, and the Amish are your friends, your neighbors. Uh, what of their stories do you think is the most interesting that you've shared in public?
1: Wow. I have in there a thing about... Uh, uh, a sad story about the Amish is uh, one called stillborn and it's a custom that they have that when a baby's born stillborn they have to have it uh, they have, to have a funeral service within twenty four hours mm-hmm. and we have been accepted in the Amish community i'm I'm surrounded by eight Amish dairy farms uh and let me let me clarify this if you're not Amish, you're considered English. no one ever told me that. Uh, my wife's Italian, and I'm Irish, and we came to Amish country. I've never been around them. And they kept saying English, this, and English, that. And I thought, oh, boy, there's a lot of people from England London oh, from England. down here. Ah. So um, so I'm nestled in and made among them, and they've been, uh, we've been accepted. So anyway, the stillborn baby, I went to their funeral, uh, and um, it was it was different. I learned about their, their culture about death and uh... uh... do a real real snippet here the the baby had only lived twenty four hours and uh... in the in the Amish home the custom is to pass the baby around the audience Hmm. and it's coming around to me and i am out of my element that is just foreign foreign to me and uh... And the, my Amish neighbor was there, and he helped me out. I whispered to him, and I said, "Dad, I, I, I can't handle this. I'm just not used to your your culture." So he helped me out. And then later that night, he stopped and he said, "Hey Joel, uh, we view death a little bit different than you English. Uh, that baby, baby died, but it's in heaven. It, it, it had a little bit of time on Earth, but it's living in heaven. And and there were kids there, Jay. There were kids that were holding this baby, passing it around, and I." And that's what they're teaching their kids. So that's part of their custom that I really uh, admire and I don't understand. So that's one of the sad stories that's in the book.
0: What about humor? I, I know you have some humorous commentary as well. Oh, oh my
1: word. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is funny. Uh, the, the titles is called uh, uh, Our Amish Neighbors Here. They, they pay all the taxes we pay except Social Security, and they have no health insurance. And they go to Mexico for major operations if they need one. They, they take a train ride to San, um, uh, San Diego, California, where a Mexican doctor has a boarding house, and then he carpools the arms um, to Tijuana, Mexico, where he performs major operations on uh, hysterectomies for the women and uh, prostate for the men. And my neighbor David went down, and uh, we're just good friends. And uh, when he when he left here, he had these dentures that were all uh, uh, chipped and cracked. But when he came home, he had new dentures in. Mm-hmm. And I said, where'd, "Where'd you get those dentures, David?" And he said, "I bought them off some guy in Mexico City on the street." <laughs> and I, started, I said, "What?" He said, "Sure, well, I only paid a hundred dollars for it." And I said. Well, David, they're probably some some dead guy. He said, Well, he won't need them. (laughs) And I'm like, looking, and I'm telling this story like I'm telling it at the breakfast table. And then I always pick a lady that, you know, looking really intense. And I said, And you know what? When he puts those dentures in, he can speak perfect Spanish. (laughs) They all laugh. But that's a funny story about the Amish. And to this day, he wears those dentures. Oh, by the way, they didn't fit, Jay.
0: Mm.
1: he's a welder, so he we put him in, on his vice and filed him down. And now he can
0: learn. <laughs> My goodness. That is a story. Oh, yeah. uh, one we could share. I don't know yeah. if I will, but it's, uh, it's an interesting insight into the Amish community. Yeah. When you began to write this, how long did it take to, to get your stories put together? Did you have a, uh, I don't know, a diary that you kept or a journal?
1: Yes. I had a folder, and I would just like short notes and throw in the folder. I wrote the book in... Uh, Roughly three days. Three days. Three, three and then days. After all the additions, and uh, I added to it. There's a section in the book called Refrigerated Breakfast Leftovers. Again, it's all around a, a bed and breakfast, a kitchen theme. And that is and that is where I talk about the Amish and some of the fallacies and some of the myths about the Amish, and I try to correct that up. But I, I wrote it in about three days.
0: three days. All of your stories don't deal with the Amish uh, entirely, do they? I mean, you also have other... Uh, oh, yeah. Stories in yeah. there.
1: What I've done, Jay, is that I've put um, uh, when I when I did the outline of the book, it was uh, I would put out of the thirty-two stories, probably about ten of them are about the Amish. The rest of them are about middle-class America uh, and some of the sad and funny things that the other guests have told us about it. Here's here's one story. This is my favorite. Uh, this is called Moon River. This is a chapter in my book called Moon River. And I'd play the saxophone, and in the mornings I would sit on my deck and play the saxophone, and I had this gentleman uh, from New Jersey, about 70. Bill was his name, and he brought his 93-year-old mother from France. Oh, my. And he comes up on our deck, and he says, uh, he whispers, he said, Joe, can you play Moon River? And I said, yeah, Bill. He said, well, when I tell you, would you you play it? And I said, yeah. So his 93-year-old mother barely makes up the steps, and... uh, he goes over to her, and he says, Mademoiselle, may I have this dance? And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, this, this you can't script. This is just off the cuff. So he, he nods to me, and I'm playing Moon River, Jay, and he's dancing with his 93-year-old mother on our deck. Mm. The breakfast area is right off the deck, and all our guests come out and watch this man dancing with his mother there wasn't a dry eye among the rest of the guests. And when it was over with, he stepped back, kissed her on the forehead, and said, thank you, mademoiselle. And that, that's why the, the chapter is called Boone River.
0: Incredible story. Yeah,
1: yeah. it is. And, and the book is full of, the, is full of those. Um, and, and I usually did, like, two, a sad, a serious, and then a funny. A sad, serious, and funny. That was kind of like my outline for the book.
0: And and the length you say it took about three days to actually uh, to put this together. Were there any challenges? I mean, did you have to go search for your file or anything like that? Or uh, well, I tell
1: you, the, the main challenge I had. <laughs> the main challenge I had um, is it's easy to tell comedy and to tell a story. True. I'm a calculus teacher.
0: <laughs>
1: Writing wasn't one of my strengths, but I have learned how to write comedy and how to write stories. So. If I had to look at one of the positives of, of this book, it's really helped me professionally on my writing skills. And, and now I just, uh, that's a, the biggest thing I had to overcome right there. Because I would write the story and and my wife would say, that doesn't sound right, Joe. And then I'd have to go back and rewrite it. Re-write it. I don't know how many times we edited it and re- rewrote it before, we put, before I sent it to Ex Libris
0: take a couple of sentences or paragraphs and introduce this book to my listeners. And I, I'm sure they're already interested, but seal the deal, get them very interested in buying a copy of your book.
1: Okay. All right. Uh Amish scrambled into with humor is a combination of their they're humorous, sad, serious, and some thought provoking stories about our guests stories around the breakfast table. And also about our Amish neighbors. Uh, we are surrounded by eight Amish dairy farms The armies come in every morning to have coffee with our neighbors, with our guests, and the guests ask them questions, and it is neat. Um, It's about middle class values. I I stress that some of the concerns our guests have about uh, terrorism, you know, every uh, societal uh, problems that we're having today, immigration, oh, oh, politics. They say you're never supposed to mention about politics in. at Airbnb. We do that because it, it just gets it out. Uh, it also deals with missions in America. We talk about uh, how we can improve America, and uh, it, it, it's, it, it's just a good read. And there are some twists and turns in it that uh, the readers
0: won't see coming. Fabulous. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to put it in my must-read in its entirety list uh, personally because this is, a, this is a great book. Great idea, Joe.
1: And, and let me just uh, give an addendum to that. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good positive comments in that, so I'm about a third of the way through my second book, which is going to be 180 pages. Uh, that involves another 60 stories that have happened here over the last 17 years. And that title is called Amish Morning Coffee with Aaron. And the reason for that is Aaron is the one of the Amish men that come in here every morning. And I'm going to use his... Dialogue with him to introduce the stories that are in the book, and hopefully that's going to come out in March.
0: Joe, what's been the response? Have you uh, considered a movie? Is that something, or or maybe even a sitcom? Do you think that might develop from one of these stories?
1: Well, it's funny you should ask, Jay. I, I, I uh, yes, uh, that's my over, you know, long time, long term goal. And this was mentioned by a lot of our guests. And uh, when I went with Ex Libris, they said, "Well, we'll take it, Joe, and we'll send it to Hollywood and see if." if it would be good for a screenwriting, either a play or a movie. And, and I just got notified last, uh, last Tuesday, about a week ago that the screenplay is done and it's going to put on a database and producers and directors and, and television network executives are going to take a look at it. And if it and it's, uh, sparks an interest, uh, I would love this to be a, a, a sitcom because I think it can send some really good messages and it's clean, fun entertainment with some questions.
0: Yeah, and you're already set up in a bed-and-breakfast setting. That's uh, one that's been tried before. It might be time for another one. All
1: right. We have a thing here, the mosquito effect, Jay. If you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't been in bed with a mosquito. <laughs> so that's what I'm I'm hoping happens.
0: Spectacular. But, uh, it's,
1: it's fun. It's fun. Uh, I had the greatest compliment watching my Amish neighbor, David, sitting at my table this morning just laughing. Yeah. Just laughing.
0: And he was reading your book, so yeah. that, that's, a, that's a good recommendation on its own. This one is titled Amish Scrambled Eggs with Humor, Bed and Breakfast Fables, and our author, who has joined me from Pennsylvania Dutch country, Joseph Chul Crawshaw. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book?
1: We have it at Amazon.com. We have BarnesandNoble.com. We have it at Google. Uh, so please, Uh, If you want a good read, uh, you want to laugh, you want to cry, you want to get mad, please purchase it. I'd appreciate it. And you can drop me an email and let me know. Give me the good, the bad, the ugly, and that will help me in my second book.
0: Exceptional. Do you have a website developed yet
1: or a fan page? Not quite. Not but quite, it's on
0: no, the way, all right? They can alert, they can look for you under your name, Joseph, last name C-R-A-W-S-H-A-W, and find okay. you and find out about the next book when it's released. Thank you, Joe, for joining me today.
1: Hey, thank you, James. Pleasure talking with you.
0: Honored for Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these
2: short messages. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com.
0: Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is titled, My Left Hand, Based on a True Story. And our author, Molly Malone, joins me from somewhere near Washington, D.C. in the United States. Molly, welcome to the program. Thank you. This is a relatively short read, uh, 21 to 25 pages. Uh, it looks like it's a children's book, but I don't believe it is. You deal with a very difficult subject in your book. Tell the listeners a little of the story and your autobiography and why you chose to write it.
3: Okay, my target with this book is for parents. Um, the subject is um, child um, I'm trying to think of the right words. How about
0: endangerment? There is some endangerment involved here, and also some yeah. uh, some abuse. Would that be correct?
3: Yes, child abuse, and um, it's between a a young girl and an older brother. The girl is two years old. The brother is fourteen. and um,
0: so both this,
3: this is a true story. It happened when the rest of the family was at church. The family was is a very devout Catholic, and um, the situation was very difficult. The fact that i I was in a very very um, unhappy marriage and things began to take their toll. I was hysterically crying in the shower when I took a razor in my left hand, and I slashed the wrist of my right hand. Mm. This landed me in psychoanalysis. I knew what to do right away. I had to have uh, medical attention for my wrist, but I, I had already made the call to a psychiatrist I'd already had in psychotherapy. Um, when this was recommended
0: you, so, you this um, yeah this story is very told me
3: quite a story
0: it, this, this story is very personal and and is accurately accounted for uh, your early life you mentioned an older brother uh, at 14 years old uh, he was going through I would call them physical changes in his life that may have motivated some of this were there other uh, contributing factors in his history that may have caused this incident to take place
3: not that I know of. I think it was, as you described, his age and going through puberty and what have you. Um, he is no longer with us. He drowned in Lake Ontario in a, in a sailing accident when he was in his early 30s. Wow. So, so um,
0: you, you,
3: I, I, other than that, that incident, I, he seemed pretty normal. He was extremely outgoing. Um, and he was a favored uh, child with with uh, with my parents. You... So I'm told. I didn't know this, but my other brothers told me this. There are three boys in the family. They are one year apart.
0: Did you have but any? They, they... Did you have any Sorry. reoccurring memories of this as a young two year old child? You would not really know what was going on much. Uh, how did this come to the surface?
3: It came to the surface by exploring um, an analysis by uh, dreams and by free association. I was able to connect the uh, the hurt right hand directly to what happened in the attic. I was able to go back to that place, and um, my, I used my left hand to... Cut my right hand because it was the hand that I used to touch my brother.
0: Your 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 parents' connection, yes, and your parents were well educated. It wasn't uh, a a, an impoverished household that you were brought up in. Your father was an attorney, Mm -hmm. if I am understanding his history.
3: Yes, and my mother was extremely um, well read. She knew what was going on all over the world. She knew what was going on in politics. But because the church, I, I blame the whole thing on the church. The church tells us that sex is so wrong that they didn't look at it. When the um, priests were taken from uh, one parish and put into another parish with known pedophile history, that was when I said to myself, I know I'm right that I blamed the church for what happened to me when I was young. It cemented my theory. I, I had blamed the church because I knew that they they teach you that my mother taught me that it's wrong, and she learned it from the far-right church. We had all kinds of religious symbols in our home. Um, we had, even had holy water. We said many novenas and rosaries, and just a very, very uh, Catholic input. So that's why I blame the church for what happened to
0: me. They would look
3: at a murder and do something about it, but not sex. And, that's my theory. And
0: yet and yet you can't necessarily blame the church for individual responsibility. It was not the church that in, initiated this. And it was, it was just
3: I blame I my mother mother for individual responsibility more so than my father because mothers watch over their children a little more intuitively than a father does.
0: Now was there some rewarding parts of this story I, you you did have a very difficult incident that took place but you also yes, have some but the
3: reward is what i'm hearing from women especially i i have been put on cloud nine when i the first writers course that i took the women were so interested and not one of them doubted what i said i have never had a single person doubt and I, that's what a person feels when this happens to them, most people don't talk, a very low percentage. I think only 15% will talk about it because for one thing, they don't think anybody will believe them. And I never, I haven't come across that. And with working with the publishing people, the first thing I heard from one of the girls was that it was an eye opener. And that's what I wanted to hear. I want to open eyes to to people so that they see what goes on inside families sometimes, even a very, very well-bred family, like you say. My family is very well-bred, and um, it still can happen, and it can be a disaster. I was led down a very wrong road in a marriage because of that. I was afraid of men, and I ended up with someone very cold and mean, so, um, so it had a long, long, it's been long-term a aspect, um, yes, long-term thing.
0: Problem. Yes. You, uh, when did you begin to write your book, and, and when did you decide that it uh, was a good idea to share your story?
3: I began about a year ago, but I started thinking about it. When I heard other people say they had an interesting story, story to write about, I always thought that my story would be very interesting to hear. It's been years that I've been thinking about it. It's been on the back burner for years, and then when I retired and I had the time, I started taking courses, um, and uh, then uh, this last year I decided to try and um, try and do it and get it out of my system. And I um, I called Ex Libris, and I was really pushed. And it may have taken someone to really push me, and I appreciate that push. I was pushed by someone, and um, I joined up, and the people there have been just wonderful. They're, they're so um, concerned and amazing and helpful, professional, always kind and prompt. It's been a, a wonderful experience expensive, but wonderful
0: yes, you retired from the medical profession, so you had a uh, i guess a career that pursued helping other people. Do you think that had any relationship to your early life, or was this just something absolutely that was in your heart?
3: i didn't I didn't think of it myself, but you're absolutely right. I always enjoyed my profession uh with working with people and helping people.
0: How would you introduce who are this Ill. yes. Your book is unique only, I guess not only because it's a short read, but because it is a short read and deals with a difficult subject, it's unusual to find this in 30 or 40 pages as an autobiographical sketch. Uh, How did you decide to keep it short and to the point?
3: Because of the um, experience in the attic, I'm a woman of few words. I try to make them meaningful, but it's hard for me to think in glo- on global issues, trying to pull all the pieces together and put them in one place because I have a lot of memory loss. Because of the incidents, I tuned it out for over 40 years um, before I went back and um, brought it together. So it, when I was in school... I didn't know this until I was 50 years old. I had a learning disability that has to do with, with studying, with uh, memory, memory loss. Uh, focus is a big issue, hmm. focusing on something, because my mind wandered. I was all over the map because I was afraid I wouldn't understand what was going on because I did not understand what was going on in the attic. So I tuned it out. I connected it. Because there is affection in the attic, and there's affection at school. With nice teachers being nice to you, and when I was in first grade, I sat on the teacher's lap because I was the smallest child in the, in the class. That sort of thing connected it Hm through.
0: You have a cover that is a little disarming. It has a, a small child, and, and because it's a short read, uh, is there any possibility that it might be confused as a children's book? My left hand, based on a true story.
3: I hope not. You thought it was a children's book. That's the first. Of course, what? I haven't. I haven't told anybody yet. Yes. Except my my family. Um, so I haven't had any feedback on this. Sure. But no, I I put it. I put that child because that child was me, and she's in the attic. And there's a sword there too, because the sword has a significance in the story. My brother was Sir Walter Riley. I would sit in class, and I would write Sir Walter Riley over and over again. Mm-hmm. I was daydreaming and do, and writing that.
0: Fascinating story and unique <laughs> in the fact that it's only a short read. But uh, again, this is a, a very important story for many people to read, and they will benefit from your observations and from your experience. And thank you for having the courage to to write it and share your history. Thank you for joining me today, Molly.
3: Well, thank you for this opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. The first word I was trying to think of, um, what to call this situation, I want to call it an assault.
0: It, it is an assault. Assault. It, it an assault. It was an assault, sure. And the title. And of I,
3: a, I just couldn't think of it. <laughs>
0: the title of the book, okay. again, is My Left Hand, Based on a True Story, and our author, under her nom de plume... Molly Malone, Molly, where do we get copies of your book?
3: Uh, the, in four weeks, they can be found at um, on the internet at Ex Libris, on Amazon at um, Amazon, and also Barnes and Noble.
0: They also can do a search under your name, Molly Malone, spelled just like it sounds, and also find out yes. about this book and uh, possibly any follow-up books if you decide to to share more of your story. Thank you for joining me today.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you for calling me.
0: Honored for Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these
2: short messages.
0: Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled, Traumatic Brain Injury, A Caregiver's Journey. And joining me is author and caregiver, Lydia, Lydia Greer. Welcome, Lydia, to the program. Thank you. Your book is 182 pages and tells your personal story. Explain to my audience or share with them the story that uh, entered you into a journey that you probably wouldn't have chosen for yourself.
3: Well, on the June 29th of 2013, my husband and I were enjoying vacation time in France. We had been very, very busy throughout the day, and all of our cell phones were completely battery-drained. And uh, we got those on the charger late that Sunday night. And as soon as we started having battery power, the phones just blew up with text messages and phone calls telling us to call home. It was urgent. Once we made those phone calls, we found out that our son, our adult son, Daddy, is, had been hit by a car as a pedestrian crossing his street in a normal crosswalk. And a speeding vehicle just uh, took him, flipped him over the vehicle, Onto his head, unfortunately, on the pavement, and he suffered a traumatic brain injury as a result of the accident. The miracle is that he survived. The sadness and the and the journey that we started has to do with his traumatic brain injury.
0: Your journey at this point is as caregiver. Is this a round-the-clock, seven-day-a-week uh, adventure or venture for you? Or how is this uh, how is this playing out?
3: Well. The way it plays out right now, Jay, is that I've been able to work with his with a facility. There's a facility that helps him get therapies that he needs to get the the work that that has been proven to improve brain injury capacities for for patients. So I am an on and off caregiver at this point. We do biweekly visits where I take him out of the facility bring him home, let him, let him spend some time in a normal environment, and then he goes back. Therefore, a while I had him in my home. I was caring for him 24-7, and uh, we felt like that it would be better if he was able to get some good therapies, kind of get some independence, and we were able to find a good facility to take care of that for us.
0: What have you discovered on a personal level that you felt was an important message to share in your book?
3: I think one of the most important things to say is that a brain injury can happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. So it doesn't seem to be you can have a normal day and anything can cause an interruption and ultimately a brain injury. Also, the fact that caregivers probably have the worst journey in the whole experience because your loved one is not the same we don't know what normal will look like for our son. We were told that within 18 to 24 months after the accident, we might start seeing some phases of normal, and, um, and we're still waiting for that to happen. Also, it's a very long day-to-day journey, meaning that you just, you just don't know if your loved one is going to be angry, frustrated, misunderstand pretty much everything you have to say, or it's going to be a day when when they're very silent or it's going to be a day when one piece of memory will come back or you'll see one sign that something something is starting to click it's it's not it's not something that's easy to walk through as a caregiver lots of emotion lots of tears sometimes just having to step away for a minute and try to understand how you're going to keep a positive attitude for the sake of your, your loved one. So that's pretty much been our journey. When we when we try to deal with things, I've learned to be very robotic sometimes. I've learned to tone back the love and enthusiasm because sometimes that's mis, mis, misread, and, and it's very difficult when that happens. So all in all, we try to find something positive, and that's my message for other caregivers going through this, Find something positive in every day and hold on to that. with all you have.
0: Support network. Have you found any outside help in the support area, not physically but mentally, emotionally?
3: (laughs) That's a very good question. That is the reason why I read this book. I searched the Internet. I searched book publishing sites. I searched blogs. I tried everywhere I could to find some type of help and support for what I was going through. And there were very few things available. There were books written by former brain injury patients. There were books written by doctors. There were books written by doctors who had brain injuries. Coming down to the family level, there were mothers of small children or mothers of young children who had had maybe written a book or had a blog. It just There just were no resources that I could find. After about six months into this journey, a friend pointed me toward the Brain Injury Alliance of Kentucky, which became a little bit of a help for me. I was able to find some information that I could look at. Finding support groups, there are very few support groups. And one thing I do feel very strongly about is that we all need, as caregivers, we have to have support groups to help us and family they understand they want to be supportive and they've been my primary source I have a very strong faith in God and basically on my knees and sometimes on my belly before the Lord to say help me deal with this I don't know what I'm doing so it's definitely journey into the unknown and since every brain injury is different every caregiver's experience is different, but even being able to sit down with someone and say, yes, I know what you're talking about, would be helpful, and unfortunately, I have not found those resources.
0: That's a sad commentary. I, I, yes, sir. I I'm, That's difficult to even understand that that possibly exists out there. You have included in your book, and your style of writing is you have... Uh, s- have laid it out almost like a diary. You have a day-by-day account, at least in the beginning, along with photographs. Those were very courageous to share those. Uh, Was there any complicated aspects of putting this story into print?
3: You know, whenever you write something from your own personal perspective, and for me, you're right, it was a day-by-day journal. It was also... We had a massive following on Facebook. People wanted to know about our son. People wanted to know how we were doing. So I just began to to post things online and just just try to keep a day-by-day journey, a journal of, of everything that was going on. Whenever you put that much passion and thought into what you're writing, once you put it out in print, it's like your heart is exposed. And I guess... The easy part is writing it. The hard part is saying, okay, someone else needs to hear this story. There are people who are suffering right now, dealing with a loved one who has a traumatic brain injury, and they need the help. I was also encouraged by many of my friends and Facebook followers that this needed to go into print. As a matter of fact, some of them were actually printing my Facebook updates and making their own books to use with, with patients. Nurses were using them with patients. Pastors were using them to help family members.
0: That's a positive that's come out of this, but how are you doing today, and how is Thaddeus, and I understand he has a couple of children as well.
3: Um, Thaddeus is making very, very slow improvements. We We are always challenged by the fact that today he won't be able to remember what happened yesterday and things that are significant like his home visits to Florida seem to be hard to remember for him for me it's just very emotionally charged I guess that's the best way to say it I I've, sometimes I'm drawn all the way to tears some days I can just move on and, and be thankful for the positive some days I I just want to crawl in a hole and pull my covers over my head and say oh I just have no idea what I'm up against here and that's still almost 18 months after the accident that's still going on as far as Thaddeus' children that's very emotional very His tough. children have a very hard time understanding what's going on they are 13 and 14 years old and for them their daddy is not the same they miss their daddy. And trying to bring that family back together to bring him with his children is always very challenging. The children don't feel comfortable being being by themselves. They they don't feel comfortable understanding what's going on. And when we try to talk about it as a family, it, it makes them cry they don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. So they love their daddy with all their heart. And they are probably my number one supporters in all of this, it's just so difficult for all of us. Thaddeus loves his children. As a matter of fact, the proceeds from this book will go to a trust fund that he has asked me to put for his children, only because I asked him, do you want the money or do you want me to give it to your children? And he said, give it to my children. Mm. So very deep love and compassion on both sides, but they, they have a hard time accepting and understanding even though he's getting better they see the small small steps of getting better it's just a very long
0: journey. Share with my listeners if you will uh, something that I'm sure they're aware of and and probably have a question about and that's the financial impact of something like this on a family how is that addressed?
3: Wow well as as would have it when, we, when the accident took place, Thaddeus did not have medical insurance. So it was a very strong fight to be able to get that type of coverage for him as far as the tremendous medical bills, and also just being able to help him get support on a day-to-day. It takes a long time to get disability approved, which we were able to achieve after about eight months to, uh, to nine, eight to nine months of work. For us, I uh, had taken an early retirement from my job, and so I have used my retirement funds to support everything that we're trying to do here. We had to rent another home in Louisville, Kentucky, and I make trips back and forth between our home in Florida and Louisville, Kentucky. So so there's a lot lot of expense involved. There's a lot of of uh, financial burden in every direction. It's it's just something that we're going to work toward keeping a positive attitude, knowing that that there will be provisions, things will be taken care of. The positive that happened is we did get that he has disability, so he does have money to take care of the day-to-day things, covering, for example, his room and board in this facility that he's in. We also have the ability to put a little money aside through the, through the government. They give me a chance to put money aside for him so that when he does recover, he will have some money he can use. So financial burden, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. What I find is that there are so many families that I have met who have a loved one with a brain injury, and they didn't have the blessings that we have of a facility that would take care of their loved ones. So, as you can imagine, it, it expands so much further than, than you can imagine. It's just it's unimaginable, actually, what happens out there whenever you're trying to struggle financially with these things.
0: Lydia, thank you for sharing your story. This is an important read for anyone who is or may be a caregiver. The title, again, is Traumatic Brain Injury, A Caregiver's Journey. My guest has been Lydia Greer. That's spelled G R E E A R. Lydia, where can my listeners get copies of your book?
3: You can actually go to exlibris and there will point you right to the book directly. It's available through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and on the fifteenth of January, we will have a, a regional launch of the book. It will be in several book fairs going into bookstores around the Southeast region of the United States and other parts of. U.S. in the world.
0: Have you launched a blog, posting or website to share your story even more than you have in this book?
3: I have not at this point. Um, there, that is something that I'm working on. One of the things that, that I want to do is to try to try to keep writing about this journey. So, so eventually, we will have a blog. We will have some places where people can go to follow the story, the rest of the story, so to to speak.
0: It's an important story that you've told and shared, and uh, we uh, send our support your way and wish you well in your journey. Thank you for joining me today.
3: Thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate
0: it. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors, right here on Ex Libris On Air.